Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's a joke. It's the only one I can think of that's not a dirty joke. Okay, so a dog walks into the post office and says, I want to send a telegram. And the guy says, okay, you know, what would you like to say? And the dog says, I want to say, woof, 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 woof. And the man says, "Um, that's fine, but you know, for the same price, you can put another woof in there. And the dog says, yeah, but that wouldn't make any sense. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. And from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that gives you talking points and bon mots to help you win your next dinner party. This week's icebreaker came from our guest of honor, New York Times reporter and author, Sarah Lyle. We'll be speaking with her later. But first, as with any dinner party, we start off with small talk. You're going to be talking about the week's news at this weekend's party. Who better to tell you which news is worth bringing up than the people who report it? So as usual, we talked to our colleagues over at Public Radio's business show, Marketplace. As you can imagine, they were kind of busy this week. Yes, covering the financial apocalypse is a full-time job, but they were happy to talk with us about some other news stories. Okay, so Betsy Streisand, senior editor at Marketplace. Whoever's lucky enough to attend a dinner party with you this weekend, what's a story that came across your desk that uh, you're going to share with them? No, so I love this story about the fact that Microsoft, they have a $300 million campaign to try to get people to stop making fun of them. They have the biggest business. You know, they own the computer business, but they're so peeved that Apple keeps mocking the shit out of them. Oops, sorry, mocking the out of them all the time that they've started this $300 million campaign. But I think one of the successes of this ad is I don't have a television and I know all about these ads because people can't stop talking about them. Mission accomplished. Senior editor for Marketplace, Patty Hirsch, what story is going to be on your mind as you uh, head to your dinner party this weekend? I think it's got to be this story about Chinese milk formula taking out proteins and putting in cheaper ingredients. They think they're making money from it, but it's creating kidney stones in babies. You take out protein from milk? Like, that sounds like it would cost more money than actually just <laughs> delivering milk. And I don't know if you've ever had a kidney stone, but believe me, if you're a little baby and it's a big kidney stone, ow. Having a kidney stone for a guy is like passing a baby almost. Nancy Fargali, producer of Marketplace Money and occasional reporter for Marketplace. What's the story you're going to be talking about this weekend? The two things that I've been following the last month, the elections and the Red Sox. Tampa Bay Rays beat them twice this week, and I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. You, I know you're a Red Sox fan. I'm sorry for you, but what does that have to do with the election? They show resiliency in the face of losing odds, and I think that's what the election is all about, resiliency in the face of losing odds. But who needs to show resiliency? Is it McCain or Obama? The American people. The election will soon be over. Hang in there. And now, time for cocktails. This is where we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our history lesson with booze. But first, the history. This week in 1916, Flying Ace the Red Baron shot down his first plane of World War I. Now, some folks at your dinner party might know he won more dogfights than anyone else in that war. And they'll surely know that in the Peanuts comic strip, Snoopy had strangely elaborate fantasies about fighting him. Our friend Michelle Philippi tells us a few things they won't know. After shooting down his 16th plane, Baron Manfred Albrecht von Richthofen was given Germany's highest military honor. Then he went and shot down another 64 planes, 21 of them in a single month. 
After each victory, Richtofen had a silver cup made inscribed with the date of the battle. He stopped after cup number 60, though. The blockaded Germany had started rationing silver. Eventually, Richtofen commanded his own team, a mobile unit that could be deployed anywhere. Since they slept in tents and painted their planes red to avoid being shot by their own ground forces, they were called the Flying Circus. That's where Monty Python got their name. Ironic, since the Baron was known as a totally humorless dude. But flying aces were gentlemen, even if they did spend most of their time trying to slaughter each other. In 1916, the Red Baron was in a dogfight with a tenacious Brit. He later wrote, The gallant fellow was full of pluck, and when he had got down to about 3,000 feet, he merrily waved to me as if he would say, Well, how do you do? My Englishman was a good sportsman. Then Richtofen shot him out of the sky and put the pilot's machine gun over the door of his home. The Allies got the last word, though. The Red Baron was shot down over France in 1918. Even with a bullet through his heart, he managed a controlled landing. His last word was reportedly, quote, Caput. Well, that's the history. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Corey Mason, a bartender at Smith & Mills in the Tribeca neighborhood of Manhattan. Corey, uh, you heard the story of the Red Baron. What cocktail does uh, his story inspire you to make? Well, really, there's a couple cocktails. Uh, World War was an interesting time. <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that really stands out to me is a cocktail that was reportedly named and created by um, French pilots. And it was named after the 75-millimeter howitzer field gun. And now we just call it the French 75. The quote goes that it's a drink that kicks like a French 75. I wonder if, like the French military, it really has no kick at all. <laughs> this drink does have a kick. Well, lay it out for us, then. Can you tell us what's in it? It's two ounces of gin, an ounce of simple sugar or simple syrup, uh, an ounce of lemon juice. You shake that all up in a shaker and strain it into a champagne flute. You want to top the rest of it off the champagne and a little twist of lemon. All right. That sounds delightful. Corey, before I let you go, I have to ask, as a former uh, New Yorker who loves autumn, is the weather just amazing out there right now? Oh, it's gorgeous. You know, I always say there's about six good weeks in New York, three in the spring and three in the fall, and we are right in the middle of the most beautiful fall weather right now. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> no one told me they didn't have seasons in L.A. Yeah. You know how we know it's autumn here in L.A.? The birds fall off the trees. <laughs> that is correct. If this is all going by too fast for you, don't worry. You can get the French 75 recipe and everything else from this week's show on our cheat sheet at our website, kpcc.org. Click on Off-Ramp. Our guest of honor this week is Sarah Lyle. She is the UK reporter for the New York Times. She has compiled her own wry observations about life in Britain in a new book. It's called The Anglophiles. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Now, you've lived in England since the 90s. 
yet you don't have an accent. No, I work very hard to keep my American accent. You know, I, I you always laugh at those people who go over and like a week later they're speaking in a kind of strangulated half British fake accent. And I've tried very hard not to do that. I was going to ask you, what's up with Madonna then? Well, I think she's pretentious. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, my own mother used to do that when I was growing up. She would call underpants pants. And that's what Brits call underpants. I don't know what was going on with her either. Well, like I'm kind of an Anglophile. But is it because I watched a lot of Masterpiece Theater with my parents when I was a kid? I mean, have you found a common thread among Brit lovers? I think we sort of falsely consider them the kind of more rarefied, more refined version of ourselves. What we would be if we hadn't become so American and crass. It's not necessarily true. I mean, there's stuff, obviously, that's great about them, but I'm not sure that's really the right way of looking at it. Yeah, soccer hooligans, not refined. Exactly. All right. As you know, we have one standard question that we ask of everyone on this show. Tell us something we don't know, something no one at our dinner party is going to know about you. Well, it's not very dazzling, but when I first became a reporter, I was um, intimidated. I started covering the police, the NYPD. Not Sting. <laughs> no, not Sting. And um, the way the police department worked is they would call down with big stories, and all the reporters would pick up their phones, and it would be kind of press conference by telephone. And the first story came down, and it was a murder-suicide in Staten Island. And everybody was asking a ton of questions as the police officer told us what had happened. It was questions I wouldn't have thought to ask, you know, how many bullets, what kind of gun. So we get to the point where the man has killed his wife, and then he turns the gun on himself and shoots himself in the head. And I, this, is, this is the story being told to the reporters? Yes, yes. And I hadn't asked any questions yet, and I felt like an idiot, because here I was the New York Times. So I, uh, as the police officer says, he shot himself in the head, I said, how many shots did he fire? Whereupon there was a huge silence, and the cop said, who asked that question? So I became humiliated on my first day on the job. Wow. Sarah Lyle, as a fellow reporter, thanks for coming on the show and admitting that. Thanks very much. So we've met our guest of honor. That brings us to the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. Rico, this week we explore the trend called nose-to-tail eating. Which, as I understand it, is exactly what it sounds like. That's true. If there's one guy who can help us get to the bottom and head of this trend, oh my God. it's Chris Cosentino, chef at Encanto in San Francisco. He's renowned for serving awful cuts. So I asked him, what are awful cuts? Awful cuts are the, what would be considered viscera or waste. Hang on one second. Manny! Shut up! I'm on the radio. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. So, what are offal cuts? The exact translation means to off fall from the carcass. When they would split an animal, the eviscera or the innards would fall off the carcass, literally hit the ground. Well, I think you might have just answered my next question, which is besides hot dogs, why don't we eat more offal in America? Why, why did we stop eating it? The decline came during World War II. Women were in the factories, women were working, food needed to be quicker. Offal cuts take a bit of time, they're not easy. And now we're a rich, prosperous nation and we prefer convenience. So you've said on your blog, Awful Good, that 
of all the awful meats, testicles are the hardest to sell. You know they are. Well, there's two. There's two difficult sells. One is brains mm -hmm. because everybody acts like an income poop and talks about zombies, and and the other is testicles. You know, every guy at the table is like, oh, you know, and, and the girls <laughs> make jokes about it, and I bet you can't do it. And and then there's just people have this direct correlation to oneself and go, oh, I can't eat tongue. I have a tongue, or I have a brain, which is kind of ridiculous. Well, one way to get people to leave their meat comfort zone is to uh, disorient them a little bit. For example, you have something on your menu called duck fries. Fries is actually the butcher's term for testicles. They can be called testicles, swinging meat, fries, mountain oysters. We serve duck fries on our menu with a, like a nice thick cut of uh, smoked bacon, a little brown butter and capers and parsley, very simple. And then you get bragging rights that you had, you know, duck balls earlier that evening. If you choose to say it that way, sure. Big balls in Cowtown, we long go down. Big balls in Cowtown, we'll dance around. So, Rico, next time someone asks you if you want duck fries with that, what are you going to say? Uh, no. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. <laughs> thanks to Brian Watt, Chrissy Clark, and Clay Weiner for helping us set the table. And thanks, as always, to John Raby and Queena Kim. You should check out their show, Off Ramp. Head over to kpcc.org and click on Off Ramp. But before you take that Off Ramp, we leave you with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. This week, we honor Richard Wright, the keyboardist for Pink Floyd. He passed away a few days ago. Here's some really excellent weirdness from their 1968 debut, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It's called Bike. Bon appétit. I've got a bike, you can ride it if you like it. Got a basket, a bell that rings and things to make it look good. I'd give it to you if I could, but I borrowed it. You're the kind of girl that fits in with my world. I'll give you anything, everything if you want I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. That song was trippy. <laughs> <laughs> this breaking news story brought to you by the media. <laughs>